everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. And I'm Ashley. And this week we're covering another one of London's favorite films, the 1996 Scream. Where do you call that? A horror comedy or parody? Meta? I call it Dawson's Creek with murder. (laughs) But really, this movie was hugely popular when it first came out. And it's maintained that fairly well. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score... 81% 81% IMDb at 7.4 out of 10. Yeah. So people still like it. Um, do you remember the first time you watched it? No. Because I do. Like, no, I this don't. This is one of the few that I very vividly remember. No. <laughs> and I'm going to say something kind of fairly controversial here. Whenever I, you know, whenever I talk about Scream, I will say that I love the first one, but I am not a fan of the franchise as a whole. Because if I'm going to watch Scream, typically it's those first three when it was considered a trilogy. But kind of beyond that, especially part four, I'm just not really a fan. See, we just watched the most recent one that came out. Yeah. Six. Yeah. And it wasn't bad. And from what I understand, the one that came right before that wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, but they're just... I don't know. This, as we're going to get into, this film just captured lightning in a bottle and everything just worked. And I i mean, you've made it known throughout this series that you're not the biggest fan of this film. But I think even you can appreciate what it did. And the films that came after just didn't really have that same essence. No, it was the, the Halloween effect. It came out. It was different. It was something people hadn't... <clears throat> Hadn't really seen before. Uh, and then it was immediately copied. Poorly. So. Mm, depends. There's there's a couple of good ones that, that came from its wake, but not many. <laughs> Urban legend. Uh, okay. I can understand yeah. where it has its <laughs> fan base too, because there are people that like it a lot. But for me, it's just okay. Yeah. But out of the films that came after that, probably my favorite would be I Know What You Did Last Summer. I mean, I don't like it as much as Scream, but I still like it. I love having Sarah Michelle Gellar as one of my sort of final girls. And so I think that's she why that She should have one, been the final girl. She definitely. But I think that's why that one sticks with me more as opposed to the other ones. Yeah. You know, because after Scream, everybody came along and said, oh, we're going to get a bunch of 20-somethings to play high schoolers and they're going to have vocabularies bigger than most people their age and but it worked you know and i i don't think it's fair when a lot of people credit this film for being self-aware because there have been in we've covered a lot of them we've covered plenty of films that came before scream that were plenty self-aware there were friday the 13th that did that april fool's day did that you know where everybody was kind of you know, poking fun at what they were going through. But I mean, hell, even New Nightmare, which I would say was the prototype for this film because it came out within two years of that of that film. I think Wes Craven was kind of teeing us up there for this is the type of movie I want to do. And Kevin Williamson already doing Dawson's Creek was like he he could write the perfect dialogue for that. I think didn't Dawson's Creek come after this? I mean, it probably did. Because I'm but pretty sure I saw an interview with Kevin Williamson. He was living out of his car when he wrote this movie. Yeah. So well, he I, wasn't. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And I think he wrote it before they got Craven on, on board. So yeah. it's like, ah, I wrote this about some angsty teenagers. And Wes Craven's like, well, let me, let me show you how to fix that. Well, the other thing that I think is so cool about this movie is that you can see the fingerprints of all the things that inspired it. You know, like a lot of people are going to say with Wes Craven, obviously there's that heavy tone of Nightmare on Elm Street in there. But Kevin Williamson was a huge, huge fan of Halloween. And I think that that primarily inspired Scream. And I would say that I see more Halloween over this to the point where it's damn near beating you over the head with it in a couple of scenes you know, than Nightmare on Elm Street per se. Yeah, maybe. I didn't I didn't get that from it. But we'll get we'll get into it. Okay. (laughs) So uh first time I ever watched it was at a sleepover um at my best friend at the time's house, obviously in middle school to early high school. And it was the one time that her mother let us pay-per-view a movie. And me and her sat and watched it and we just loved it. And I remember 
that after the movie was over, I wanted to watch it again. And she was kind of like, um, okay, weird. But <laughs> and she kind of went off and was doing other things while we were at the sleepover. And I proceeded to just sit on her couch and watch this movie on repeat. So, I mean, it goes without saying that I absolutely adored it. However, I don't think my love of the film really carried over into the years as much as other films have. So, which will probably influence my final rating later. Yeah. Yeah, this is one that once you once you know the punchline, for me it loses rewatchability. Yeah, yeah, I think that could be and the problem. And that's because there's nothing there's nothing happening in the background in this film. Right. Other films they have like there's little giveaways or little easter eggs happening in the background of the scenes and so you want to rewatch it to see them, but I mean, Craven really did not want you to know who it was until the very end, and he covered it up really well. Um, Skeetle Rick, not so much, but <laughs> Wes Craven didn't show his hand. Uh, so, I, yeah, I mean, once you know who it is, it's kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm done now, I, I guess. I think the rewatchability goes with, well, for me, at least in my case, has everything to do with Matthew Lillard. That Those are the things that I want to go back to relive again. Um, or Dewey, because Dewey is everything. Um, but yeah, as far as that that central mystery, you, I don't feel like anybody who goes back to rewatch it rewatches it for that no. reason. No, once it's over, it's over. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So, cast and crew, you said you can recite all of them by heart. <laughs> You're going to put me on the spot. I said I thought I could. Well, the problem is, is that the list I'm looking at, it gives, us, it gives first names for the characters, but not last names for the characters. Right. Uh, like the very first one, Drew Barrymore. It she's credited just as Casey, but it was Casey Becker. Becker. Yeah. So or Becker, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I'll let you just fill in all those gaps there. <laughs> Go. Okay. So putting me on the spot here. Let's see how I do. Okay. Um, we have Nev Campbell as Sydney Prescott. We have Ski Ulrich as Billy Loomis. We have Matthew Lillard as Stu Mocker. We have Jamie Kennedy as Randy Meeks. We have Drew Barrymore as Casey Becker. Let's see. Who am I missing? Oh, my girlfriend. And now Courtney I'm losing Cox. her name. No, not Courtney Cox, but Courtney Cox plays Go Weathers. <laughs> Tatum. Rose McGowan plays Tatum Riley. And David Arquette plays Officer Dewey Riley. Um, we have some kind of smaller roles. I don't really remember Sydney's dad, but we have uh, the Fonz A as Prin uh, Henry Winkler as Principal Hembry and a small cameo from Wes Craven as the janitor. And Liev Schreiber was almost Liev in this Schreiber movie. is Cotton Weary. He was almost in this movie. Yeah, he was in there for like that long. Yeah. Did I do okay? You did pretty good. <laughs> Yay! You did pretty good. <laughs> I don't know of very many movies I can actually do that with. But so. you left out Linda Blair. Because Linda Blair was in there for like 30 seconds. And I don't know what her character's name is. Obnoxious reporter. Yeah, it's just, yeah, she's just a reporter. No, that's how she's credited, obnoxious yeah. reporter. Like, people deserve to know. How does yeah. it feel? But technically, <laughs> she was in the movie longer than Liev Schreiber and had a speaking role. He really didn't. So <laughs> That's true. I, I think all he did was get put in the back of a cop car. Yeah, you just <laughs> see him in there. I mean, so. Wes Craven had more lines than he did. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay. But no, you got it. Lee Waddell was the stuntman that played Ghostface. Right. And Roger Jackson did the, did voice, the voice of Ghostface. Yeah. And you know they never met him? Yes. On set? Mm -hmm. They wanted him to, to be, to stay scary, I guess? Yeah. We, we've heard of lots of guys doing that before, uh, namely with, with Friday the 13th. The Jasons would kind of ostracize themselves away from yeah. the casting crew as to maintain that illusion of, well, of being Well, the interview scary. I saw it was Craven yeah. that wouldn't let him interact really? with the interact with the kids. I say kids. They were all... In their mid twenties, <laughs> mid twenties to thirties, yeah. If they wanted to make this more believable, they should have said it in college, right? And it would have still been okay. They could have said it in college, right? I mean, that would explain why uh, Sydney's dad's just going to leave her there for the weekend or whatever. Uh huh. Um, none of the other kids have parents, <laughs> apparently. I mean, Skeet does well, when his dad shows up. To be fair, I don't think parenting is done the way we do it where the parents will go away on a trip and leave their teenage kids at home. I don't think you trust our boy enough to do that, even though he'd literally probably just sit in front of the Xbox and eat junk all weekend. Okay, I'm not going to air it out here on the show, but I want you to think about all the things that you've caught him doing, and you're like, what is that? Um, Yeah, those things aren't yeah. really anything that he could. we could lose the house to. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, <laughs> do you trust him? I would, but you're a big paranoid, paranoid, 
paranoid weirdo. And that's because I know what I would do. And that's and I think that's because your parents took you with them even when you were a teenager. Yeah, I know. I know what I would do <laughs> if I was by myself. I was responsible for three other kids starting from age 12. I was left alone with them a lot. The fact that my brother got his eyebrows blown off with, from a Dearborn eater is beside the point. <laughs> oh, thank you for proving my point. <laughs> Aiden would never touch the heater. He wouldn't. He wouldn't, to be fair. <laughs> He'd be like, no, fuck that. I'm just going to put on a bunch of blankets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it was a pretty loaded cast. Yeah. Honestly. Um, I think that's I think one a of lot the of these things. Folks were, yeah, maybe they weren't at the top of their career, but they were They were up there. They yeah. were popular. I think that, like I was talking about, you know, having lightning in a bottle, I think that was one of those things that just worked. You know, even though they were, like Ski Ulrich in particular, he wasn't anybody I had heard of really before. <coughs> This film, I mean, if we're getting technical, yes, I think he did the craft within the same time frame of it, but I did not put those two together as, oh yeah, that's the same guy until much later. When they cast Skeet, they were like, it's Johnny Depp, but cheaper. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> my uh, my uh, 15, or not 15, my uh, 12, 13 year old self would have said, it's Johnny Depp, but hotter. <laughs> Yeah. I know. Everybody's going to be like, oh, no. I'm yeah. sorry. Have you seen the way he looks now and the way Johnny Depp looks now? Eee, big, he definitely, huge difference. He definitely aged a little better. He aged he? way better. <laughs> yeah. I only know that because London was also a huge fan of Riverdale. So, anyway, moving on. Um, so, what do you think, taking out, you know, what we just talked about? about the film losing its punch on subsequent watches. What do you think about the story as a whole, though? Take Ruling that out. Um, it's okay. It's okay. It's just an okay story. I feel like I'd seen it before. Maybe I hadn't seen it before this. Maybe it's just that it got done over so many times since then. I feel like it was familiar. But maybe that's, maybe that's just me. Um, I mean, I guess... The killer's the boyfriend. Wait, spoilers. Too late. <laughs> That's just, I don't know. I will say they hit it well. I think in the writing they kind of hit it well. Um, so that you don't figure it out, you know, 45 minutes before the movie's over. But mm -hmm. it it feels generic to me, right? You've got a group of kids. Basically, you've got the Scoobies. There's murders. They're not really investigating, but you have to wait till the end to find out who it is. And then you find out that it's somebody that you've seen on screen the whole time, you know? I, I mean, don't like, feel like it was done before this. Well, no, but I'm saying this film, this film specifically, it feels easy, I guess. Like, oh, yeah, it was the boyfriend. Oh, it was, you know, it was the husband. It was what? It was the person that's been on screen the whole time. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he, they did a good job of hiding it and all that. But I mean, as far as writing goes, it didn't nothing about it jumped out. Like the twist didn't feel original to me, mm -hmm. I guess. Honestly, by the time you get to the end of the movie and they're like, ah, it's, it's this guy. I wasn't surprised. I don't think anybody was surprised when they found out it was Skeet. He was giving her crazy eyes the whole time. I like, was. He was. He looks like a psychopath through the whole film. <laughs> uh, the only thing that surprised me really was that uh, Stu was in on it too. Yeah. But that really shouldn't have surprised I was like, oh, well, I, all right, never mind. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. You know? I mean, there was like the initial shock and then like, yeah, he's kind of been a little fucking weirdo through the whole thing. So mm -hmm. I guess that's, I guess it tracks that they would be in it together. I don't know. I'm not trying to be shitty. There wasn't anything about the story that impressed me. It it just felt kind of like a, a standard whodunit. Okay. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I just I just got canceled. I was that was as nice about it as I could be. I think. Okay. How about you? Well, at the time, there were there was ugh, I can't talk. There were so many things that happened in this movie that I had not seen up to that point. And yeah, looking back on it with a different lens now, yes, you can see where all those inspirations are. But at the time, my horror film back catalog was not nearly as big as it was when I first watched it. So I was very impressed with that story because I didn't, I mean, again, dude, I was like 12, 13. I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh yeah, I knew it was the boyfriend the whole entire time. I didn't, you know, I didn't pick up on he's being a creepy guy. I was like, oh, that guy's like, he's sexy. He's giving me sexy eyes the entire time or whatever. And you felt really bad, you know, that she, that Sydney was treating him a certain way and then... 
um, I was so pissed because I was watching it one night and the stepdad I had at the time, he came in and he, he wasn't watching it with me, but he stood there for like three minutes just listening to the conversation right before Billy gets fake stabbed by Stu. Um, you know, what, what do I have to do to prove to you that I'm not a killer? And my stepdad goes, it's the boyfriend. And I looked at him like, how do you know? And he's like, I just know it's always the boyfriend. And I'm like, what? You know, and now going back on it, I'm still going, I still don't know how he made that assessment. Because if I'm thinking just off the top of my head, the only film that I can think of where it's the boyfriend is My Bloody Valentine. That's literally the only one I can come up with. If, if somebody else knows more, let me know. But I just didn't, you know, I didn't expect that. I didn't see it coming. And the idea of two killers was also something I didn't see coming at the time. So I, I don't know. And... I will say that looking back on it now, nobody talks the way those kids talk. No. At all. I know grown adults that don't talk like that. I mean, to be fair, I know Travis Hunter, and he does talk like that <laughs> every day. But most grown people I know don't talk that way. So it's really weird to hear what are, you know, quote unquote children talking like that so going back it does seem a little no offense it does seem a little obnoxious and look how clever I am and all that and this is coming from somebody who was a huge huge fan of Dawson's Creek and watched it start to finish of the series and that never bothered me looking back on it now I'm like Okay, kids talk like we're in an Eli Roth movie or a Rob yes. Zombie movie. Yes, they That's do. how teens really talk. So for everybody that's like, oh, I can't stand watching those movies because everybody's obnoxious. Um, that That is how teenagers talk. That's... <laughs> and worse, <laughs> if I'm being really honest. Yeah, that's, that's closer to real life than... <laughs> yes. I don't know. I don't... Well, I'm not... I'm not a, I've said it before, I'm not a huge fan of Kevin Williamson's writing. Mm-hmm. But I think that's it. All his all his characters are pretentious. Yes, pretentious. That's what that's what I was looking for. And that's for. the reason I never could do Dawson's Creek. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, what's her name? She should have just left completely. Like fuck Dawson, fuck Pacey. What? Just, <laughs> just get out of there. Like stop wasting your time with these two knuckleheads. But anyway, everyone in everyone in that show was a pretentious asshole, and I just couldn't stand it. <laughs> but that's just his writing style. Everything he does. That's his. That's sort of his stamp, right? Right. Um, and I don't know. You you could say that Joss Whedon did the same thing when he did Buffy. Yeah, sort of. Because his his is pretty similar. Yes. Kind of. He kind of does that too. It's um, much more funny though. <laughs> but it's yeah. I think the humor offsets the pretentiousness of the characters. So, yes. But speaking of which, this movie's not really that funny. <laughs> like uh, Stu, again, have to agree to disagree. Stu is funny. The rest of them. Dewey is also funny. Stewie's just awkward. Did I just call him Stewie? Dewey. <laughs> Stewie. <laughs> you know what it's time for then? Beers. A sexy party. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dewey's, Dewey's funny, but in kind of an awkward way. Yeah, he, it's like the adorable idiot. Yeah. Sort of. But, but Matthew no, Lillard I, is the is the comedy here. I would say probably the first what, 10 minutes of this movie, I was in Hook, Line, and Sinker. Um, because we really didn't get all of those things that were annoying. It was the most tense opening. Still to this day, I don't feel like it's been rivaled. I mean... No, you, it, it's a fantastic opening. You can take something like Saw, maybe, where they had those pretty intense openings. But even then, it still, to me, pales in comparison to this one. Because this one, even, what, 30 years later, still makes my stomach tighten up. And not in a good way. No. Like, it, it's still an insanely uncomfortable scene to watch. It's a very, it's very tense. And the sad part about this film is that the scariest, most tense part of it is, is the first five minutes. See, not for like, me. They kind of blow their whole load at the beginning. And they killed Elliot's sister. <laughs> Oh my lord! They take out Drew Barrymore, which I mean, she was the, the the face sort of of the marketing. She's in the front of the poster, right? Um, and on the the cover art for the DVD or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they kill her, which is insane. And I don't, nobody expected them to do that. Which is, I mean, because I think she was up for Sydney originally. Yeah. And then she was saying, you know, wouldn't it be more unexpected if I were to be right. the first character killed? And for me. That those first ten minutes, the killer is so mean spirited in what he does 
that it sets the bar so fucking high for the rest of the movie. And the last, I don't know, five minutes of her, her kill, basically, is the part where I could literally just throw up. Yeah. Because it's not even so much her kill per se. It is that being so close and yet so far from her parents that they're right there and she can't scream for help. And her parents going into the house and seeing a fire and they can't find her. And her mom breaks my heart every fucking well, and time. Well, they can hear her on the phone. Yes. it. Oh, my God. And when... Uh, when we watched this, I guess it's been a few months ago, you and I were both like, uh, fast forward God damn, let's fast forward through this yeah. scene. It was too, it was too hard for us to watch. Um, I didn't, I actually didn't watch it in preparation this week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling on myself, I didn't watch it this week. Number one, because they jacked with my schedule at work again. So I was having to work overnight and therefore sleeping more than I was doing anything else. But I've watched this movie so many times over that I didn't feel like I had to, but I was hoping that Travis watching it kind of more closely, that maybe his opinion would change a little bit. And I would say that probably that first scene, definitely. Like if, if, if they had maintained that same level throughout the movie, then it might've been something else. But I, I think you're right in that they blew their whole load in those first. Yeah. Because at no point yeah. do you reach that level of intensity. And at no point, like... At least I don't feel like they did. They don't. And then from, like, an emotional investment on the audience's part. There's nothing else that happens throughout the film where you are that mm. worried about the person that you're watching on screen. I I'd never cared that much about Sydney. I guess. You know what I mean? At no yeah. point did I ever feel like, oh, she's not going to make it. Because once Drew Barrymore's out of the picture and you put her in, oh, she's the final girl, she's going to make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because this was back in the day when we didn't kill the final girl. Nowadays, you can't say that. But right. But when this film came out, final girl doesn't die. Right. We know that Rose McGowan's a sidekick, you know. Mm -hmm. Guys are not final girls. Randy's kind of the weird nerd. He's going to die. You know, I mean, they were still following the rules. Mm -hmm. Much as Randy pointed out through the whole film. Right. So we knew that we knew that Sydney was the final girl. And we knew that she was going to survive. We just didn't know who the killer was. But yeah, I just I feel like the opening to the film was the most powerful part of the entire movie, and they just never they set the bar really high and then never got there again. I'm not going to say that I was never <clears throat> tense for another scene in the movie because the, the kind of the final climax, mostly because it's a fucking bloodbath that last. That, that last 20 minutes or so between Stu and um, Billy stabbing each other, that got pretty heavy. Like that part did get tense for me because you didn't know how far they were going to take that. But apart from that, not so much, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, at that point, you know they're the killers. So how 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 much sympathy do you really have for Oh, no, that? no. It has nothing to do with sympathy. I'm saying that was the only other time I was tense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it's not tense unless I care about whether they live or not. You know what I mean? I guess. Travis is the cool kid right <laughs> now, guys. No, Travis is the sick kid right now, so I'm just <laughs> going to go ahead and apologize for the, the coughing and sneezing. We, we are both sick right now, I'm going to cut currently. as much of it out as I can, but <laughs> it's allergy season, and allergy season just kicks my ass. So. Yeah, yeah, you're you're dealing with my quote-unquote sexy phlegm again. You don't have that. I know I don't, you, but I call it that. Yeah, because you call it that, but that's not... <laughs> You know what? I have access to very important places right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I guess he and I are just going to have to agree to disagree. I, I like the story just fine. Um, let's move on into acting, I guess. Um, because so, so much of the story is, is, I feel, hinged on those performances. Um, I'm going to repeat kind of what we just said. I think Drew Barrymore set the bar performance-wise. Yeah, you know, I agree. Because over the years, I have come to appreciate other actors' performances, but I don't feel like they matched her intensity. Like, Drew Barrymore was somebody that, uh, like most of us girls that grew up in the 90s, she was somebody that I heavily, heavily idolized. You know, she was that cool rock star punk gothy kind of girl and hippie L at the same time. And I just thought she was amazing. She was probably my first girl crush. 
And so to have her being put through the ringer in this way, I felt like she pulled it off. I felt like she was very believable. And at the same time, it was kind of sad. But before we go into that part of it, her kind of being flirtatious, even with the killer, you know, it felt like she just, she eased. She was doing this I'm sorry, I can't talk. She was doing this flirty thing and I'm just teenage girl and I'm living my best life. But as soon as he says, I want to know who I'm looking at, she just flipped on a dime right into terror and she slid into that so easily. And it was, I thought she was terrific. She did a good job. And you, from her acting, not, not from her appearance, but from her acting, you can kind of buy her being a, a, a teenager, you know, a high school mm. kid. Like she didn't, um, she did not appreciate the danger she was in until that moment. Right. And then reality came in, and she was like, "Oh shit, this this guy's for real." Mm-hmm. And I feel like acting wise, she sold it pretty well. Um, I don't really know about the acting performances of the rest. Like I'm, I'm pretty happy with Drew Barrymore's. I feel like she she did a good job. <sighs> Skeet was too much, too much with the creepy eyeballs and stuff through the whole movie. I kind of like Matthew Lillard's because you sort of buy him as being the clueless, goofy, I don't take shit seriously guy. But he might not have been acting. That might just be him. I think not. I've seen him do serious performances before. I think the thing with him is I don't think he gave us any illusions about who he was. From the beginning, his his first scene, he was an idiot. Yeah. And he pretty much stayed consistent with that till the end. Even when he was revealed to be a killer, he was still hammy and over the top. And, you know, I don't I didn't see a performance change in that entire time. So I think... He knew what this character was, and he had fun with it. Yeah. And so I think I, that's why I'm appreciative of yeah, his Yeah, I feel character. like he just went with it. And there's a couple of scenes towards the end where Billy's talking, and he's just kind of looking, you know? Mm-hmm. And he looks lost <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. But I feel like it fits that character. Yeah. You know? that He's like, ah, uh, what's going on? Like, he's trying to get caught back up with what's happening. Right. And I, I like that. I can understand what you're saying about the character of Billy because I think if he had been a little bit more three-dimensional, you know, if we saw him as being a happy guy, like, you know, I'm joking around or I'm being tender with my girlfriend or I'm, you know, showing us layers to his character, that might have been a more well-rounded performance. But I do think that you're right in the fact that he was kind of creepy from Jump. He played it creepy and way too serious from the very beginning. Yeah. If he had had more personality at the on the front, and then you just flipped the switch at the end, that might have been a bigger be surprise. Guy, then it would have been more surprising. Right. But mm-hmm. the fact that he's always doing that weird, like, I don't know, heavy he's breathing. So, he's so intense. Heavy breathing, creepy shit yeah, through the he, whole movie. That yeah. You just look at him, you're like, I bet he's the guy. Yeah, he's just so <laughs> intense the entire time that it makes... If he had played it a lot more lighthearted on the front, and then, yeah, at the very end, you get the flip, and you'd be like, oh, shit. Yeah, or tragic. Uh, going back to My Bloody Valentine, the way we have Axel kind of almost sympathetic a little bit in that he's losing his girlfriend, possibly, to his best friend, you know, and you're kind of like, oh, and he seems like he's a good guy because he's joking around with all of his friends, and then all of a sudden you find out that as a kid, he was traumatized his father was killed right in front of him and he he does that he snaps in that movie and that that lent to a more credible performance on neil affleck's part so in this it's so god i hate saying it 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 hurts my heart to say it but yeah i do feel like skeet ulrich's uh, performance was a little one-dimensional for me yeah i don't i don't know about nev campbell um i'm going to say the same thing about her unfortunately I also felt like she was one-dimensional because she came across as kind of snooty yeah. and pious. Well, did you see the houses these kids live in? Right. <laughs> um, kind of like the you know the way you sound when you're talking about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's fine. I accept that. <laughs> but no, she just, I don't know, she had an air about her as, you know, I know she's supposed to be trying to portray the girl next door and, you know, the Meg Ryan type or whatever. And I didn't get that from her. I did not. At all. I got kind of the same thing Skeet Ulrich was doing, but female. Like, oh, I'm brooding, I'm sad and whatever. And I get it. You know, she had this horrible thing happen to her a year prior. And believe me, if anybody knows what that will do to a mood, I do. But at the same time, she I just don't feel like she had anything to offer because even when she was 
having fun with her friends, she still felt like she was just kind of sucking the life out of the room, I guess. Yeah, and if they had pulled that off as she's actually having bouts of depression, yeah, then that would have been a different flavor, I think. I mean, they have one as conversation she was just about like, it. like, I'm no fun. You know what I mean? She was very much... It was giving Kristen Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, she was very... <laughs> that's that's actually very, very accurate. <laughs> But if they had played it off as, as she's she's fighting with depression, you yeah. know what I mean? And made it an emotional thing. If it was a thing she went but, through the entire film as opposed to one conversation with right. Billy in the hallway. And then Billy is the much happier boyfriend that's like trying to be there, trying to cheer her up. Yeah, yeah, I you can know, see that. Where he's trying to be supportive of her instead of trying to like high-pressure sales get in her pants the whole time. Right. Then the, the shift at the end would have been... Holy shit! Way different. Yeah, I agree. And if she has to kind of... I guess come out of the depression a little bit for self-preservation for survival, you know, to fight back, then it would have been uh, some character development on her part. I mean, it, it would have been a flip. You'd see her kind of stand up for herself and fight back. Yeah. And I feel like it would have been a, a more powerful moment. Yeah. So as far the as the other, we should just rewrite the whole fucking thing <laughs> and show them how to do it. So as far as like, you know, what I feel like really embodied that more, I would say would be Tatum. You know, I don't, I don't know how other people feel about her character, but I felt like of the two girls, she was more fun. I love that she was the one that to say what everybody was thinking and not give a shit. And I mean, she's physically abusive to her boyfriend. <laughs> yes, she could be bitchy. She definitely had the mean girl thing going a little bit, but I'm also a Rose McGowan stan, so <laughs> I will forgive it. But I just felt like of the two, she was more vivacious and more bubbly. And she she's somebody I would want to be friends with more than Sydney, I think. It yeah, sounds so terrible. I would much rather be friends with her than Sydney. <laughs> I, I don't, when you look at the, the difference between those two personalities in this film, I don't understand how they were friends. Mm -hmm. Because of just the, the complete, almost opposite between Tatum and Sydney. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I, why did Tatum put up with her? Right. <laughs> That's sad. But, I mean, again, if you'd gone back to it, rewrite it a little bit, and she's had this tragic thing happen, and it's affected her a lot, and Tatum's, maybe maybe she wasn't like that before, and, and Tatum's being supportive, and still her, but, like, using the bitchiness to kind of stand up for her friend, mm -hmm. which she does, sort of, although Sydney does have to punch a Gail Weathers in the face all by her lonesome, I guess. Now, two characters that I will say had some depth and had actual character arcs would be Gail and Dewey. Those two are probably my favorite characters in the entire film, honestly. Um, I, why are you looking at me like that? You just said they had arcs. They do. I don't, okay. Because with Dewey, and he, there's conversations about how his sister, the town, everybody doesn't take him seriously as law enforcement. And we kind of get the, the Barney Fife-ishness about him that he's scared of his own shadow. I mean, there's there's a couple of scenes of him jumping and screaming and, you know, but at the end, he's kind of forced to step up and, and prove himself as somebody to be taken seriously. You know, he, I think, I feel like he puts more importance on the investigation than his boss does. You know, his boss is like, oh, a curfew, guess, which oddly enough, or interestingly enough, was played by the same actor that was in A Nightmare on Elm Street as... Fuck, I can't think. Lieutenant Thompson's deputy, I guess, or whatever. You know, maybe I better go get... <laughs> maybe I better go get some help. That guy. Anyway, enough said. Um, I just felt like like Dewey grew more as a character. And that I think that's why people love him so much. Because, you know, as kind of a bumbling, endearing idiot as he is, he will still put himself in front of the people that he cares about in order to protect them. You know, as, as scared as he is. Yeah. Especially Sid. I mean, we don't really see it so much in this first movie, but as we go down the series, he you never doubt his love for her or for Gail. Well, because he loses his sister in this. Right. So she's probably the closest, mm -hmm. closest thing he's got. I guess I can kind of see the arc for him. I don't see it for Gail. So to me... Like, I get it, Gail, like, she puts herself in danger at the end. But at the end of the day, she's still just trying to get a, get an interview, get a show, get her I Pulitzer. She's basically still Monica if Monica was a reporter. Well, and if Monica was a bitch, because Monica's not a bitch. She can be, though. She said that was specifically why she took this role. She has said some horrible shit to Joey. Joey deserved it half the damn time. Joey doesn't share food. <laughs> anyway, uh... <laughs> 
Kanye, if you will let me finish. You know what? You've been talking this whole time. <laughs> well, I was trying to explain myself why I felt that way. Um, and with Gail, yes, I can understand what you're saying. But at the same time, and I don't know if they had had sequels planned when they were filming this. So if you take that out of the equation, then I would say, yes, Gail had an arc where all she cared about was getting the story and getting the story and going through. Maybe she didn't care about the bulk of the population of that group of people, but she definitely cared for one other person beside herself being Dewey. And she absolutely did not have to go back into that hell. That hell. I mean, I guess it was. She did not have to go back into that house to help save Sydney, who had punched her just a few hours before. So... If you take out how the story went after, then yes, I say she has an arc. Okay, I can I can agree with you uh -huh, on some of that. Uh-huh, and that's I why can. I explained. I, do you also agree that she fat-shamed Kenny into fat-free <laughs> ruffles? <laughs> he was eating fat-free ruffles at the end. <laughs> he was also a litter bug because he threw it out the window, and that's how we know that he was eating fat-free ruffles, which were by far, in a way, the most inferior form of ruffle. Oh, my God. Okay. So, yeah, story-wise, I, I think I think it was good. I think acting acting was pre pretty good. Not, it was okay. Um, like I said, I think Matthew Lillard was and Drew Barrymore were the standouts in the film, for sure. Um, but it was okay, I guess. Nothing, nothing earth-shattering, obviously. Um, special effects. Because you looked at me weird while you were like, why yeah, are we you talking special it. effects? You're doing it out of order. Yes, I did that on purpose. Uh, they were fine. It's just a lot. Of, it's kind of like American Psycho. There's nothing. There's no Tom Savini stuff in here. You know what I mean? It's like mutilations and weird body parts and shit like that. Necessarily, you get some guts, but most of it's just blood. Like they used yeah. a lot of blood. I I will go on record and say though that this movie was the first time I'd ever seen someone disemboweled. Yeah, and you don't get to see it once. You get to see it twice. Yeah, but hey, first both of time those ever. Are kind of from a distance. There's no in-your-face gore effects. Maybe that's where I'm going with this. There's not like a lot of hardcore gore effects in this film. Yeah, maybe not. There's just a lot. But there's they, they probably went through a million gallons of blood. Yeah, because I know that they had to cut scenes out for the MPAA because it was too bloody. Like, there was a scene of just a shot of Stu's sleeve of his sweater after being stabbed. And it, and I think he was holding like a corkscrew or something in his hand, and you could just see this blood just drip, drip, dripping like in in pools. And the MPAA made them cut it because it was it was too much. I think a lot of the stuff with the MPAA, it depends on what day you catch them on. You know, if you catch them before cocktail hour, then they're he's going to be gonna... a contrarian today. No, I'm just saying <laughs> that a lot of their rulings and stuff that they have people cut for movies seems to be arbitrary. It's like they're harder on some films than others. Like if they if it, if a if a director that wasn't Wes Craven that was famous for f making Freddy had a bloody sleeve in their film, would they have still made him cut it, or were they just fucking with Wes Craven? I think because of the climate of when this film came out and the age group of the people performing these acts, they were probably within this, their rights to be a little bit more. This sensitive. film came out before those that started happening. I thought it was at the same time as. No. What year did that happen? 99. Oh. This came out in 96. Huh. Well, then why do they always bring that up in interviews? I don't know. That's strange. Don't know. But, yeah, I don't know. As far as the MPAA goes, I don't know what they would have had in this. Um, they really needed to be cut. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. Even though they're adults playing children, they're still children. And for some people, that is disturbing to see children being hurt, getting killed. Catch my drift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I do understand what you're saying. I just disagree. <laughs> I disagree. There had been violence involving and directed towards children in film before this. Yeah. That were right. younger than these mid-teenagers or mid-twenties people. So. I could just, I was just saying that I think that the time the, the temperaments were changing already. You, yeah. you could see that starting to shift where people are like it's upsetting to see this this much stuff murder happening to kids. Yeah. Yeah, okay. okay. In the 80s, they straight didn't give a fuck. <clears throat> you had real life teenagers getting nude on film for Christ's sake. Yes, you did. So <laughs> But anyway, to get back to the the question, I feel like the the effects that they do have in here, they were good. They were, they were well done. 
Uh, well, like I said, that was the first disembowelment I, I saw was Steve's character. And I remember watching that and being like, holy fuck. Like, it, it kind of low-key scared the shit out of me first time I saw it. So you saw this before you saw Day of the Dead? Yes. When a Day of the Dead where they ripped the guy? Uh-huh. I did. I didn't see okay. that till I was an adult. Okay. As a matter of fact, I didn't see any Romero movie till I was already an adult. Because, see, that was the one that I saw, and I, that made me queasy. Like, ooh. Yeah. No, everything that I had seen up to that point was, like, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. Which, they're not really big on doing those types of kills. No, they and, don't. So, yeah, no. So, that it warped my fragile little mind. Okay. okay. <laughs> How did you feel about the effects? I thought they were fine for what they did. Like like you said, they didn't have anything that just really, you know, stood out. But to me, that was one that I did. Like I said, that, that kill to me stood out in the beginning. And then Drew Barrymore, of course, being right. strung up to the tree. I, I thought that stuff was very well done. Um, but yeah, I guess you're right. Other than that, it was just a buckets of blood good time. Yeah. And I don't have a, I don't have a problem with that at all. It's just interesting. I don't know. I think, I, I I associate think it was more Craven. visual effects yeah. heavy than anything else. I associate Craven films with like, well, it's, it's Freddy and you get a lot of special effects, a lot of weird shit. Right. And so it's weird to have his name on something where you don't get all that. Right. I guess. Uh, score wise, I don't mind it. I feel like this kind of set the tone for all the horror films, teen slashers that were going to come after it where they all tried to emulate the same exact score that this one had, or it's just ominous tones over and over. That being said, if I hear the scream theme, I know what it is exactly. Travis is always saying, well, if I heard this, you know, I wouldn't know it or whatever. But this is one that if I hear it, I go, oh, that's scream easily. It has a theme? Yes. Okay, I missed it. <laughs> of course you did. I'll tell you what, though. What I didn't miss is Red Right Hand right. by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Mm-hmm. I I like that. I don't know what I don't even I don't think I've ever even heard their whole song. But I'll be honest with you, when I hear that, I always think I always think of uh, Jim Carrey getting his hand stuck in a Rhode Island slut. Rhode Island slut. Rhode Island newsstand. Rhode Island slut. Is that what I said? Yes. Okay. Well, you know what I mean. So. <laughs> yeah. That oddly I enough is what I associate it with too. <laughs> Because I always think of red right hand as he's taking porn out of the thing. (laughs) Yep. Trying to steal porn. Yeah. (laughs) Although I do, to be fair, I also associate it with Hellboy. It's a good, it's a good song. It is also good. Yeah. It's a good song. So the fact that it's in three different films from out my young adulthood doesn't surprise me. Yep. And there's one other song in this and it's not score it's just a song playing in the background Mm -hmm. um don't fear the reaper Mm -hmm. by gus black and Mm -hmm. it's the very beginning in the scene between sydney and billy in her bedroom and i thought jesus christ if you're listening to the music they give the whole movie away right here yeah (laughs) although i will say as much as i love blue oyster cult i did enjoy this version of it I do think it's pretty good. I actually really like this soundtrack. That is one thing that I've never had a complaint with as far as the Scream films go, is they always seem to get kind of what was current and popular at the time. Um, I'm I'm not going to admit to liking Creed at any point, but (laughs) they definitely tried to keep their finger on the pulse of what was popular at the time. You know, it was kind of that MTV generation of... You know, who who was going to win the VMA that year? Well, you know, I mean, if they licensed a, pop, a song that was popular at the time and they cut it into the trailer, then you're going to get young people to come watch your movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they just they grabbed whatever was popular on MTV. And yeah, that was that. Yeah, because I, I can think of multiple songs, uh, probably within the original trilogy that I go back to as associating with this film more, you know, than music from the current films that we've seen yeah so all right we are down to quote kill and scene yeah i feel bad about that because the last few episodes we have done we're not getting to the end until we're like almost at the two hour mark now so travis just literally did not have much to say about this movie (laughs) i don't feel like this movie had much to say uh i think it did I I don't. So and I know you're talking. <laughs> Jesus. I know you're talking about um, when we just we just did American Psycho and it ran for like two hours. 
but like he had when they wrote that they wrote that with societal commentary like there's deep shit in there uh-huh i don't necessarily feel that way about this film i do okay kate, kate can i maybe change your mind on that subject you just can, a little bit or you may try or, <laughs> or is it just not gonna happen <laughs> probably not gonna happen but you can try uh. I think that it, because if, if I were going to be any character in this film, I would probably be Randy. I mean, okay. I'm not, I don't feel as into myself to say that I would be a Sydney because she's so self-assured and self-aware and all this stuff. So I'm, I'm definitely not her, but the Randy who kind of, you know, he's the nerd and he's not, you know, he's not really the popular kid and he doesn't get the date and all that stuff. But knows a shit ton about subjects that nobody gives a yeah. shit about. That's... Nobody really likes him, but they let him come to parties because he can bring <laughs> the movies for free. I got you. Yeah, that's. I would say that that's. I I relate to him probably more than anybody else. Um, I think what the movie is trying to talk about is us, kind of, in that when you take people who have grown up with these films. There comes a certain time where you kind of become jaded by all of it. And I think that there's a lot of that, that because these kids have grown up with these films, when the shit starts to really hit the fan in real life, they're not, they're so aware of everything except for what is actually happening around them. They're jaded to the point that they cannot see the danger that's right in plain sight. Okay. What? Why are you looking at me weird? So I I just, I think that's the overall message is how we are so ready to accept a violence. Yeah, I guess I could kind of see that. So, I mean, this really comes kind of, I mean, I feel like it's always been a a thing back to Tipper Gore wanting to put warning labels on music, but it's always been a thing that our media and our... um, fuck the news is <laughs> just ev- everything you see is you know who's getting killed or who's in this nobody ever reports anything positive because nobody ever wants to see anything positive so we are especially in our youth even today down to Aiden sadly kids are just so fucking jaded by the world is such a shitty place you know that I don't feel like there is any positivity it's kind of that burning youth type thing going on I guess yeah okay well, you could wrap all that together with your favorite quote. <laughs> so you're like, nope, still haven't changed my mind. It's still a vapid film and it has nothing to say. Uh, maybe. Just say it's not for you. It's not for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, fine. Let's go into quote killing scene then. Right. You start. No, I feel like you should do your quote first because it's more relevant to your argument. <sighs> okay. My favorite quote of the film is, movies don't create psychos, movies make psychos more creative. It's, it's got to be, I mean, as quotable as this film is, to me, it's got to be the most badass line spoken through the entire thing. And maybe that says something about me. Maybe I'm the very person that we are talking about. But it's, it's, it's a badass line to me. Maybe you're Billy Loomis. Maybe I am. <laughs> anyway, uh, Kill, I'm... As much as it, it's a hard scene for me to watch now, I will go with Drew Barrymore's. Because I, like I said, I felt like it it really set the tone. It set the <coughs> bar. You were just like, oh my god, if it's this fucking rough, what am I in store for for the next, you know, 80 minutes? I you agree. Know? Um, favorite scene. That's hard. Because I wanted to just, on general principle, wanted to say the climax of the movie with the reveal of Billy and Stu and, you know, Stu kind of putting his head over Billy's shoulder and them fucking with Sydney and stuff. Cause it, same thing. It was very tense and it had some very comedic moments in there to, you know, I'm feeling a little woozy here and my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. And, you know, um, peer pressure and like everything that Stu did in that final climax was so fucking hilarious that it's hard for me to not pick that. But I'm going to go with that opening scene also, ultimately. Because same thing. Same exact reason as I picked it for the kill is I really felt like it just set the bar. It's probably, for me, that's probably the best cold open to any, any film, period. Okay. So. When it's that intense, is it still a cold open? Yes. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Is it my turn? It's your turn. All right, so favorite quote. It's everything Stu said at the end of the movie. (laughs) You have to pick one. 
peer pressure. I'm way too sensitive. <laughs> I love it. But really, his dialogue there at the end. And I feel like we could have used more of that throughout the movie. Um, he we is, did. He we is, got it throughout the entire he's, movie. He's jokey it, throughout the movie. He is. It's just not funny, a lot of it. I think Liver um, Alone is hilarious. He's, it's just, that's just a terrible dad joke. <laughs> yes, and they're hilarious. <laughs> but there's something that's just a little more clever about the shit he's saying at the end. Like that peer pressure, like he just immediately throws it out there. Peer pressure, I'm way too sensitive. I'm far too sensitive. And go off. He, yeah. Do you want to do this? <laughs> go ahead, tell him what my favorite shit is. Um, I don't know. It just, maybe it's because of the scene you're watching, you don't expect him to be saying that shit. And that makes it funny because I'm a psycho also (laughs) that I'm finding humor in that situation. But I don't know. I feel like the timing was better. The setting was better for that type of humor. Um, It all just worked right there at the end. And you agree with me because you love all the shit he said there at the end too. Yes. Um, I feel like, yeah. Kill, I got to go with Drew Barrymore. It's the hardest one to watch, but it's the best one you get in the film. You know, I started to go with Rose McGowan's kill because, I mean, how often do you get some, to see someone die while they're halfway stuffed through a doggy door in a, <laughs> in a garage door? I don't think I'd, I'd never seen anything it's like a door, that before. Inside a door, inside a door. It's, a, it's doorception. <laughs> I'd never seen anything like that before or since. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what I understand, she could have easily fit through there and they had to like. She could have. They had to like hold her in there because she was falling out of it when they were trying to film it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that just wasn't. I don't know, that just didn't do it for me. It's interesting. It's an interesting kill, but yeah, it's just okay. So yeah, Drew Barrymore, because that was like that was intense. That was an emotional mm-hmm. that whole whole thing. And that kind of leads me to the scene. I think my favorite scene in the film is the chase in that opening scene. After she's out of the house and Ghostface is chasing her. Mm-hmm. You know, he chases her down and then he like tries to strangle her and then she can't scream, but her parents are literally ten feet away and don't know she's there. Um, really, really hard to watch, but very powerful. It's a powerful scene. Um, it's sadly the rest of the movie doesn't measure up to it, but I feel like that's, those are my picks. Okay. So Travis, not that I need to ask at this point, marry, fuck, or kill, scream. (sighs) Probably still fuck it. I got low standards. So really? Yeah. I really thought you were about to say kill it. Not (laughs) kill it with fire, but... If nothing else, I can watch this film because London loved this film. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I mean, it's interesting enough. There's enough things that are in there that I kind of like that I would... I, if you're watching it, I'll sit down and watch it. It's not a kill it. That's not... You know, it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> How about you? Um, it's going to be a fuck for me also. Uh, it's not one that I keep in regular rotation. It's more like... Um, I have to be in the mood to watch it type of thing. And it's usually like, then I go through the whole thing. I've, I've got to watch the entire franchise. You know, I can't just watch one. It's like, oh, now I'm hyped up to watch part two. Now I'm hyped up to watch part three. And fuck, can I just get part four and go back, go into five? <laughs> or just do the first three, you know, because I, I do have a soft spot for parts two and three. I've got a lot of memories tied to those other two films. Um so, but it's not one that you know, I could never imagine watching again either at the same time, I guess. Would I miss it if it wasn't available? Possibly, yeah. And that, that strictly hinges on Stu. But yeah, it's not one that I'm, oh my God, I, I don't imagine, I can't imagine never watching it again type of film. So yeah, just a fuck for me too. Yeah. Honestly, if I want to see Matthew Lillard be funny, we can just watch without a paddle. I don't know you. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> You just got canceled by every single person listening. What do you mean? <laughs> it's a great movie. Everyone should watch it. It's got sure, Seth that's why Seth MacFarlane gave Seth Green crap about it on Family Guy. Did he really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I don't care what he thinks either. So, <laughs> have, have I introduced you guys to my husband that likes the lowest brow of comedy? That's his favorite genre. <laughs> I, You know what? I have admitted that freely and, and I won't apologize for it. I like Dumb and Dumber. It's hilarious. Well, I like Dumb and Dumber, too. I'm just saying. Okay, so you're saying that Without a Paddle is lower brow than... It's not a great film, honey. I didn't say it was a great film. Like, Surf Ninjas is not a great film. I was like nine. (laughs) I've heard you many times be like, oh, Surf Ninjas, and I'm like... Yeah, because you cringe every time I say it. (laughs) 
yeah, he thinks Rob Schneider's funny. Like, uh, why? You know, he had his moments. <laughs> and then I don't... It's kind of like Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler used to be funny. I don't know what the fuck happened to him either. <laughs> All right, final thoughts. I feel like you should watch this film. I should. I would recommend this movie to people. someone who has never seen it before. Um, would you, though? Yeah, I think I would. If, I don't if think we were, you would. If we were already talking about it and they brought it up, like, hey, you think I ought to watch Scream? I'd be like, yeah, sure, why not? Fuck it, you ain't got nothing to do. Well, see, I, I'm different. <laughs> like, if uh, if somebody had never watched horror before and they were like, okay, give me a list of films that, that are iconic and really important to the genre, you know, I'm doing, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'm doing Halloween, I'm Friday the 13th, The Exorcist. Uh, Rosemary's Baby, and then I will throw Scream in there simply for what it did for the genre, especially when it was as dead as it was. Now, don't get me wrong, there are a few gems that stand out in the 90s, like uh, Silence of the Lambs, Candyman. There are good ones in the 90s, but we, we had killed, burned, salted the earth of slashers because of how condensed that whole genre was. People were sick to death of it. Kind of like the way we have superhero fatigue now. We're over it. It got to be the same way with horror films. And Scream kind of went and gave it that adrenaline boost right to the heart that it needed so desperately at that time. And for that reason, I think it's an important film. So I actually would recommend it to anyone that would ask. However, I wouldn't in good conscience recommend anything else in the franchise. (laughs) Sadly. I think think this would be a good movie that you could recommend to someone if they were like, you know, I've never really watched horror movies. I want to watch something that's good, but not too scary, not too, not too gory. I feel like this would be a good go-to. But I also think that it's a film that you don't necessarily have to just recommend to horror lovers. I think it's a probably a film that people who just love film love at the same time. Yeah. Because of what it says about our culture. All I'm saying is it would be a safe bet for a, a horror newcomer. Because it's it's not it's not so heavy in, in terms of the gore and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So. So. Anyway... All right, next week, and I think this is going to be the final hashtag for London film. And this one's the one you're going to surprise me with, because I don't know what it is. Really? You only told me about the first two. I could have swore I told you. Mm -mm. Okay, Uh, well, next week we are going to be covering The Lords of Salem. Yay! Okay. I'm sorry. This was mine and London's jam. This was one that we loved to sit and watch together. She was as big a Rob Zombie apologist as I am. And I have I have the warmest fuzzies for this film ever. Um, and then that's going to pretty much conclude this series of films until if if we happen to be still recording, I don't know if we'll be on break or whatever in April, then we may revisit this idea again, you know, around her birthday. But for now, we, you know, those are three of her favorite films. And I'm, I was glad to honor her in that way. I I really, really hope that I kept my profanity down to a minimum this time because last week was so bad. You sounded like a locker room last I year. did. Or last week. I did because I, I went back and I was listening to American Psycho and like I think the F word was out of my mouth every other word. And I was like, geez Louise. And I was telling Isabel, I said, you know, because I apologize to her when I use profanity because she doesn't like it. And I told her, you know, actually, I think it might have been Aiden I was having this conversation with. I was like, maybe we should start coming up with fun things to use in place of (laughs) cuss words. You know, like the way you would use fudge or whatever. It's like, I might have to start doing that. Holy Toledo or holy cannoli or (laughs) stuff like that. Because seriously, if I'm saying I use too much profanity, that's really saying something. So I do want to apologize to the audience if I was way out of control last week. It was like listening to your brother (laughs) last week. It was. It was. I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on with me? I mean, listen, fuck's not the only word I know. It's one of my favorite words, but like, but you don't have to use it all the time. It should be like garnish. You just dab a little bit on there, sprinkle a little bit on there delicately. Not, yeah, but you don't oversalt it. You don't hose it down like it's Frank's Red Hot or something. You don't put that shit on everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, next week we will be talking <laughs> Lords of Salem. That'll be interesting. I've never actually watched that whole movie. Really? Never. 
Oh, I, I love it. I yeah, love so it. So I've watched it two or three times with you up to the point where she gets the record and they play it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I fall asleep. Well, we won't go too deep into it because I felt like we talked about Scream a little bit too long last week when we said we were going to talk no, about I'm it. I'm just saying. But uh, it'll be that'll be almost an, a brand new watch for me. But I have uh, I have a lot to say uh, positive about that film because if you are not a Rob Zombie aficionado simply because you couldn't get past the aesthetic or the dialogue of his previous films, this is one that is pleasantly different in comparison. It's not different in that it stars his wife. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, and now he's cut off You're nearly. So mean. He's cut out nearly every other character, <laughs> and it's just her. Oh Lord! But from what I've seen of it, she does pretty good. <laughs> this one's different. She's not playing baby in this one, so it's it's tolerable. But until next week, I'm Ashley, and I'm Travis. Thank you for listening to Dead and Married. Go fuck yourself, San Diego. Way to go. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Dead and Married. A very special thank you to our patrons, William and Zena Rush of Original Cinematic, Gary Horton, Carissa, Kate Lamp, Karima Rhodes, Kent Morton, Lala Tamez, Renee Hunter-Vazquez, John Paul Vazquez, and Travis Hunter of Podmortem, and another special thank you to Alana Miller for composing our theme. You can find Alana's channel, Alana Lama, on YouTube. If you would like to support our show, consider rating and reviewing us or go to patreon.com slash deadandmarried to find out how. Lastly, be sure to check us out on X and Instagram as SpookyMom83 and TravisL80 as well as our official page. And thank you again for your support.